all know there's two really popular days on the Christian calendar. I don't have to tell you what they are. This is one of them, Christmas, and the other is Easter. Now, some of you know that because that's only when you come, Christmas and Easter. So, hello, and it's great to see you. Uh, maybe 2019, you'll come every week. That would be a wonderful habit to start. But as we look at Christmas and Easter, I want to, I wrote this out because I don't know how many people really have ever put this together, so I'm going to say it. It's not profound, but let it sink in. Christmas makes Easter possible, but it's Easter that makes Christmas meaningful. Think about that for a minute. Christmas makes Easter possible, but it's Easter that makes Christmas meaningful. Here's what I mean by that. See, if Christmas were just about candles and bows and mistletoe and presents and carols and trees and, you know, bows and candles and songs that we sing and church services, it really would serve no purpose but to give us like a temporary lift or a temporary high from kind of the mundane burdens of life. To understand Christmas's true meaning while we're here is to understand it made Easter possible. Now, Easter is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single greatest thing that's ever happened on this planet. If you don't believe me, try to think of a close second. It's really hard, isn't it? And no, the Eagles winning the Super Bowl was not a close second, okay? Seems like we waited just as long, but it's not a close second. Some people will say, well, I'm a skeptic. I'm not religious. Isn't the resurrection of Jesus a myth? Isn't it like a Christian fable? Didn't the disciples like cobble together this idea and everybody believed it and it gained traction and here we are? I want to give you a dose of resurrection reality this morning. Everyone in this room and everyone in this country and maybe the world is living in the ripples of the resurrection whether they believe or not. There was a weekend that changed the world and we are all byproducts of it whether we believe or not. Here's a dose of resurrection reality. Number one, it's the hinge of history. What do I mean by that? Well, in the ancient world, do you know how they marked time? They didn't have calendars. They didn't even have clocks. They marked it by the reign of very powerful men, rulers, and kings. So in the Bible or outside of the Bible, you'll see something like this. In the 20th year of the reign of Artaxerxes, he was the king of Persia. And then it would list all of his exploits. And it was done this way all through antiquity until someone said, oh, I have an idea. Why don't we change the system? You all know how hard it is to change systems? Huh, really hard, right? Well, somebody comes along and says, let's change it. And we changed it, and now we mark time, not by a powerful person, but by an itinerant rabbi, former carpenter, oh yeah, who was crucified by the most powerful country in the world. Hey, here's an interesting thought. Let's mark time by his life. How does that happen? Resurrection. Resurrection is the only way it could happen. And we mark everything before his life, B.C., and everything after that, A.D. You're living in the reality of it. Today is December 23rd. 2018 A.D., it's the year of our Lord, whether you believe or not. Then there's the sheer improbability of it all. See, sometimes people will say, oh, that was years ago. Those people weren't as smart as we were. And all you had to do was tell them somebody rose from the dead and they would believe it, right? Well, let's talk about how smart they were. Uh, I've traveled a little internationally, so have you. I looked up some of the top places to go in the world. The pyramids, the Parthenon, the Colosseum, uh, who built all that? Very smart people who didn't have our technology, and it lasts way longer than anything we're building today. I don't think these people were dumb. 
And guess what? If they knew anything, it was this. When you're dead, you're dead. Because no one had ever come back to life. And the stories of resurrection, they knew they were fables because there was no historicity, there was no dates, there was no prominent people mentions. Today we have a genre called historical fiction where we do put dates and times. But you would never put dates and times in, in something that was made up because people could corroborate it. And that's why another resurrection reality is eyewitnesses. Luke gives us dates and times and rulers and kings. And this was all written 30 or 40 years after Jesus' death. He was seen by 12 that followed him, by prominent women, and oh yeah, over 500 who saw him. And you would never write that where people could say, no, I wasn't there. And no one refuted what had happened because there was tremendous eyewitness. And then there was the Greco-Roman world. Rome ruled the world. Greece kind of gave it its spice, its culture, its education. And they had their gods. They had different names, but the same gods, and they enjoyed those gods because those were the gods of wine and happiness and sex, etc. There was really nothing you had to do. You didn't have to live a right lifestyle. People enjoyed that. And then Paul goes and he preaches in Athens, and he notices they're worshiping all these gods, and there's a statue to the unknown god, and he goes, well, I'll go for it. And he tells them about Jesus. And nobody believes, and they say, Paul, you're mad, and he goes on his way. And today, if you've been to Greece, you know the cross is their flag. The New Testament was written in Greek. The Roman Colosseum has a cross in it. Where Circus Maximus was is the Vatican, and statues that once had Marcus Aurelius and other Caesars now have Peter and Paul and all the churches that fill Rome. How did all that happen? Resurrection. And so we are living in the ripples over the resurrection, whether you believe it or not. The traffic you've been in for the last two weeks? Jesus. People running to the malls? Jesus. He caused all this. Every Christmas morning, you could set your watch by it. My dad, as we would open presents, waited till the end. And there's wrapping everywhere and there's gifts everywhere. And you could see the register in his mind going. And he would say this and give him a free pass. He was a product of his day. He would look around and he would say, there's a Jewish person behind all of this. In other words, they owned all the department stores. It's a stereotype. And they were the bankers and everything. So when I became a Christian, I waited that one new year. And I'm waiting. And he said it. He goes, somewhere there's a Jewish person behind all this. And I'm like, yes, Dad, there is. Jesus. He's the reason for the season. <laughs> but it's Easter that made Christmas meaningful. It's Christmas that made Easter possible. What makes Christmas meaningful? I want to read you Luke chapter 2. I know you probably read it on Christmas morning. That's a tradition some have. Churches read it in services like this. You probably have it memorized. It says, it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Uh, gosh, I didn't do this in the first service. Can I, can I lay something on, on y'all? So... Bruce Feeler writes books, right? And they're New York Times bestseller. And, and, and he's writing about Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And because he's from the Middle East, people buy his books because they think he has more insight. Uh, Christianity actually started in the East, right? Places like Alexandria and, and, and those places were, were 
foundations of, of the gospel. So he wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal this week saying, no, 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 that's not how censuses work. You, you have a census where you live with your animals in your home so they can tax you and send your boys to war. You would never go back to where you were born. See, when you try and outsmart the Bible, you always lose. Uh, Quirinius was governor of Syria and had jurisdiction over Judea. He had two censuses. Uh, the first census, the second one he let go by the way the Romans did where they, you know, they just come to your home. Do you know why he did this one where you had to go to the place of your birth? We all know, right? Caesar was ruling, God was in charge, the fullness of time had come, that's why it happened. But do you know why he did it? Because David had numbered the children of Israel, so when it was time for a census, they didn't like it. So he gave them a break and let them go back to the place of their birth. And of course, that brings them to what Micah said, Behold, you Bethlehem, though you are small, out of you shall come the one to rule Israel. And betrothed to Mary, his wife, she was with child, that it was while they were here, hello, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. There was no room in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be not to Israel, but to all people. And Christmas is celebrated globally, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, he's Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. It was a feed trough. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And so it was when the angels had gone away into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. Now, every time I read this, it ruins your manger scene. I know. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph. That's it. No wise men. I'm sure there was a camel or a couple sheep. But it was just Mary, Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying, which was told them concerning the child, and all who heard it marveled at those things which were told to the shepherds. But Mary kept all things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen and what was told to them. So we read these first 17 verses of Luke. There are 51 verses, which, by the way, is Jesus' entire first 30 years. The majority of the Gospels, especially John, is Jesus' ministry and John, his last week. The verse we need to lock in on is verse 11. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. He's Christ the Lord. Now, for some reason, we're fascinated with the baby. The mangers, the pictures of Jesus lying in a manger. We're just overwhelmed. Listen, I like babies. I really do especially now that I don't clean them, pay for them, uh, have to live with them. I actually love them to death. 
And we focus on this baby, and yet Luke, who's probably delivered hundreds of babies, is not focused on the baby. Verse 7 says, Mary laid down her firstborn son. And then even in verse 11, when it talks about the baby, it says, that baby will only be a sign. So if you got all your kids in the van, and you drove to Disney World, and you saw a sign, Disney World with an arrow, no one would get out of the car, camp around, and have a great picnic. This is amazing, right? The sign points to something greater that you're about to experience. The mystery of godliness is that God had done something in that manger that no one could ever do for us. The person that was to be born was a savior, Christ the Lord. Listen to me. Powerful people have come and gone. Powerful, influential people have changed the world in our lives. The writers of the Declaration of Independence, some of our great presidents, Gandhi and others in other parts of the world have changed our experience. Great people have come and gone. The problem is all their tracks led into the graveyard. And sooner or later, as time went on, we found out about their failings, and we were crushed. Even in the Bible, Noah gets drunk, David commits adultery and murder, Peter denies our Lord. Great men like Martin Luther King and Lincoln and Washington, we know all their faults. Bono said, singer of you too, not Sonny Bono, Bono, said the greatest story ever told is the Christmas story. That God came down in straw poverty and dwelt among us. A savior. A savior came to do something for us we can never do it for ourselves. See, this was the game changer. This is the leap of faith, the hurdle of history that people have to get over. This is why Larry King, when asked, what interview would you like to do from history? He said, Jesus Christ. And the person said, why? He said, because I'd ask him if he was virgin born, because that would change everything. If that were true, then what Isaiah said 700 years earlier, unto you a child is born, a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulders, of his kingdom will be no end. And what will his name be? The wonderful counselor. Okay, we've had those. How about the mighty God? How about a prince of peace? How about the everlasting father? What makes this the greatest story is that laying in that manger was God himself. You see, from Rome's perspective, they had all the power. From Jerusalem's perspective, the temple and the priests were all the power. And what God did is he overrode all that and he sent a temple to Bethlehem. In the house of bread, God delivered to us the bread of life. Emmanuel, God with us. And it boggles the mind. The temple at that time had a veil separating the priest from meeting with God. The Ark of the Covenant was gone. It was corrupt. God sent another temple. John, the mystic, said the word was with God. The word was God. Behold, he tabernacled among us. It says Mary pondered all these things in her heart. I love the Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? Mary, did you know that your baby one day would walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy one day would deliver our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy had come to make you new? This child that you delivered would one day deliver you. Mary, did you know? She didn't know that day. But she knew later, after the resurrection, she was one of the 120 in the upper room when the spirit fell. And in her Magnificat, she says that she worships 
my Lord, my Savior. Oh, we all like sheep had gone astray, every man to himself. And God overrode all of that and sent to us himself, his son. Can I give you a Christmas Eve conversation that took place in heaven? The writer of Hebrews blows my mind. He tells us this in chapter 10. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, Christmas, he said, he said this to the Father, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sins, you were never pleased. Then I said, this is Jesus to God, here I am as it is written in the volume of the book, the entire Old Testament, I have come to do thy will, O God. Jesus declared, God never, God was never pleased by sacrifices. God doesn't want us to walk on hot coals. God's not looking for us to, to sacrifice. God's looking for a relationship. Sin had broken the relationship, and Jesus said, sacrifice and offering you didn't desire. It was all pointing to me. It was all a declaration of this majestic thing that God would do in that a lamb would come into that manger. Again, mixing up these holidays. Though this one in the manger was born of God, I love what Matthew does. See, John's a mystic, Luke's a doctor. Matthew's Mr. Practical. He starts out with the genealogies, just making sure we have all the T's crossed and the I's dotted, right? Now, no one liked genealogies until Ancestry.com came along, right? <laughs> now you're all taking swabs and all this stuff to find out you know, if you had rich kings in your history and all that. In a genealogy, there's two people you exclude. Women, right off the bat. And then people who kind of gave the family a bad name. They were always excluded. Matthew starts out, and he lists people that failed and people that succeeded. He has Tamar, a woman who was a Canaanite. Rahab, who was a Gentile and also a prostitute. Bathsheba, who was Jewish, but committed adultery with David. And the genealogy is so fitting because what Matthew's saying is everybody's welcome in God's kingdom. There are no favorites, no one's perfect. And what was happening on Christmas is God was reconciling the world unto himself, not condemning the world for what it had done. He wasn't checking to see who was naughty and nice. His son came, heaven came down, and it was announced to shepherds, here comes heaven to make people right with God and to do for them something they could never do for themselves. And God was mixing all kinds of people in, every kindred, tribe, and tongue. Do you know why? Because grace changes everything. And it was never about us. If it was, then Jesus would have never come. If good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell, then Jesus would have never come. But he was reconciling the world unto himself. That baby was holding the world together by the word of his power, holding atoms together, holding life together, all the while coming to reconcile the world unto himself. And to the shepherds, the announcement was, here comes heaven. Lowly temple shepherds, here comes heaven. You know, I've been to that field. When we go to Israel, we go to that field. It's a very cool day. People love it. Um, especially we have great shish kebab after. It's amazing. But you go to that field and we sing Silent Night. And I tell people you'll never have another Christmas that's the same since you've been here. But in reality, that field is just a field, right? It would be like going to Yankee Stadium today. It's just a field. Except, you know, Garrick and Ruth played there and there's history. 
You see, wherever God is, heaven has come. People want to say, what's heaven going to be like? I said, I don't know, but I know this, God will be there. And wherever God is, that's heaven. And if God's not there, it's just an enhanced earth. The announcement, here comes heaven, was majestic for this reason. Because the temple came and grew and tabernacled among us. And everywhere Jesus went, he brought heaven with him. Lepers experienced it. They were outside the kingdom. They were ceremonially unclean. The only thing the priest could tell them is, get out of here. They would look at their hands. And pus and sores would become like baby skin. Leprosy was a type of sin. So many in this room, you were addicted. You, you were, you know, you had a thousand things marred by sin in your life. And God made you brand new. He took what was scarlet and made it white as snow. See, that's the story. The blind saw. How many of us, when, when we accepted Christ, scales fell from our eyes? People got new limbs. Women were restored to value. Uh, racially marginalized people were the, were the heroes of all Jesus' parables. The hungry were fed. And what's most important to me, a dead man was told to rise. Someone had the power to tell a dead man to wake up and arise. And 1 Corinthians 15 said that's what's going to happen to us one day. And Jesus did all of this. He brought heaven to earth. Because he was God, nothing less. He was God in the flesh. Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh. He was now the veil. The Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as men, with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. Bethlehem happened. So Calvary could happen. Christmas happened so men could have second birth. The soft little hands in the manger would have nails go through them one day. Chubby little pink feet would walk the walk to Calvary. The smooth head would have a crown of thorns. Because Jesus was born to die, he had come for you and me. And the swaddling clothes, I used to think, oh, swaddling, it's like, you know, it's like an Ugg blanket, swaddling clothes. Oh, he's so warm. You know, swaddling clothes were strips of linen you would put on a dead person. They were probably laying around in the inn. It was the only thing to wrap him in. They brought frankincense for his burial. On Christmas, the invisible became visible. The temporal became eternal. The ideal became real. Human became divine. But probably the most important thing that happened that day John tells us in 1 John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have gazed upon and our hands have held concerning the word of life. The life was manifest and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life which was with the Father and manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy might be full. If Christmas means anything, it means joy has finally come to the human race. 
Joy has come because we've been transformed. It doesn't mean we don't have problems. It doesn't mean we don't have pain. It doesn't mean we're not a pain in the neck to other people. It just means we have come into communion with God and we bypassed all temples and religion and all sacrificial systems and we've come into the greater reality which God always wanted and that is to have communion with man. Behold, I knock on the door of your heart. And if any man would open it, I would come in and dine with him. The book of Revelation. That's what God longs for today. He's not looking for what you're going to put in the offering. He could care less if you're at church today. He just wants you. And he wants your joy to be filled. One of the reasons I love our church and love pastoring is that everywhere we go, we bring a little bit of heaven. Every missions trip, every outreach. Heaven's come to my home. I hope it's come to yours. Every time we gather, everything we do, a little bit of heaven is here. But I got to tell you, as much as heaven is here, I can't wait to go there. I really can't. I just went to my financial advisor. He put up a big screen, and there was a 91 in the middle. I said, is that my score? He said, no, that's how long you're going to live. And I said, that's how long I'm going to live. When's the last time you saw a six foot seven, 91-year-old? I don't think so. I said, besides, if I'm going to live to 91, I hope, I, I, I hope somebody tells me now, right, so I can enjoy it. Okay. I'm looking for the place where God is because I don't have to worry. Grace changed everything. That baby born in straw poverty became a savior that died on the cross to give me life. Guys, Easter is because of Christmas. Amen.